0: Hello and welcome to the Freightvine podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist here at Chainalytics, and today I'm lucky to be joined by Bob Costello, Chief Economist and Senior Vice President at the American Trucking Associations, or ATA. As everyone on this podcast knows, ATA is the National Trade Association for the Trucking Industry. As Chief Scientist, Bob manages all of ATA's collection, analysis, and dissemination of trucking economic information. Um, He also conducts economic analyses of proposed regulations and legislation affecting the trucking industry. And we'll talk more about that, specifically about the driver shortage. Now, following my conversation with Bob, I'll be joined by Dr. Enami Yub to discuss the truckload market update. So let's get started. Welcome to Freight Find Podcast, Bob. It's uh, taken me many months to get you to join me, so thanks for coming.
1: Well, I appreciate it, Chris. I'm glad we were finally able to do it. The stars aligned finally.
0: So Bob, you've been with the ATA and analyzing the trucking industry for over 20 years since Bill Clinton was in office. So I got to ask, it's a dynamic market. What are the biggest changes that you've seen over that time?
1: Well, first, thanks for making me feel old, okay? So, (laughs) um, I know, I can't believe it that I'm still here. I would have never thought this. But I have to tell you, I love this industry. It is the backbone of our goods economy. I never get bored with it. You know, plus, this industry is filled with responsible, good people and companies. The vast, vast majority Mm -hmm. want to do the right thing and care deeply about safety. I love that. I love being here every day. You are right. There has been a lot of changes over the years. I mean, think about this. You know, recently, right? We finally have ELDs in place. Um, This is something ATA has pushed for hard. But let me go, uh, my wife's family's from Ireland, some of them, and they live over there. And I've been going over to Ireland since the Clinton administration, as you pointed out. And back then, bus drivers in Ireland had ELDs. We just got them in our industry now. (laughs) seems a bit crazy. So that's something that has certainly changed. You know, another thing that's changed since the Clinton administration, I remember when I first came to this industry, I went out and did loads with some drivers. And I remember unloading the trailers. Ah. That was done routinely back then. Drivers would not only drive to the shipper or the receiver, then they had to load or unload. They rarely do that now in the 4 hire truckload business. So that's something that's also changed. Yeah, it's much more efficient. It's not the outlaw career it used to be. Has, has ATA done any
0: studies through ATRI or anyone else looking at the dwell time over years? Has it, has it shrunk or has congestion increased that? Do you have, I have no idea.
1: Well, I don't think we've done any studies or ATRI's done any. I will tell you it has shrunk, although we are a bit frustrated with it now, right? I think right, that's something right. that we can be improved. Uh, but to my knowledge, nobody's really done a, a study on that. So what's been the biggest surprise? What would Bob
0: from circa 1997 be surprised by if he was suddenly teleported to
1: now? Well, that's a good question and a tough one. I guess if you're making me pinpoint something, I would have said if you went back to Bob Costello in the late 1990s, I would have expected today that there would have been more consolidation in the industry. In the truckload. I do. In the full truckload industry. I, I do. I think it was... And, you know, first of all, I think there has been consolidation, both through M&A activity as well as failures, but it is still a very fragmented industry. If you think about it, the top 20 truckload carriers combined have less than 10% market share out there. So, you know, while consolidation has gone up some, this is still a low barrier to entry industry you know, I think I, we saw some of that in the last upcycle in 2018. There are new fleets out there, small ones, right? But there are new fleets out there and existing fleets added some capacity, not much, but I think enough to, you know, that we saw that there was sort of boom, buffs, bust cycle happen. Right. But if you went back and asked me back in the 19, uh, late 1990s, what would happen? I would have expected there to be more consolidation than there has been.
0: You know, what's funny, I was just looking at an ATRI report from uh, the fall where they did the uh, operational costs, and I was struck by the cost differentials for a large fleet and a small fleet in terms of fuel, insurance. I mean, it's 3X, more expensive for the small guys. So I agree. It seems like that would be pushing to more and more consolidation, but we just don't see it. Not enough to affect the market anyway.
1: Right. I mean, it happens, but then what happened is a 2018 comes along and people get back in right. the
0: industry. So as your role as chief economist at ATA, you, you've led a lot of research over the years and let's dive into the most recent one and the reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast, the driver shortage uh, report you published in the summer of 2019. So the driver shortage is something that people have been talking about for a while and it's a hard thing to measure. So can you talk us through the process of how you actually measured the driver shortage? Because it's not a trivial
1: or straightforward process. No, you're right. Um, But how about this? I'm going to start with how we do not calculate okay. the shortage. And the way we do not calculate it is by surveying fleets. And the reason is you will get a much inflated number if you do that. And what that really is, if I went out to fleets and I said, hey, how many drivers could you use that you don't have today? Oh, I could use 10. I could use 15. I could use 20. Whatever the, you know, and you start adding these up, that's a jobs opening number, but it is not a shortage number because why could they use those drivers? Certainly back in 2018, maybe not so much now as the market has gotten tough, but they had customers that needed them to haul more freight. Well, here's the deal those fleets are going after the same customers. So if one of the fleets were to get those drivers, then some of those other drivers would drop off right, at the other freights that needed, right? So that's a job. So, and I do think there is an issue with this and I have seen some higher numbers than my number. And I think that's sort of what's going on here. All right, but let me get back right, to what right. you asked. And that is in a nutshell, what we do is we look at all, and this is just in a nutshell, it's more complicated than this, but in a nutshell, we look at all the freight that needs to be moved annually then we look at or calculate an optimal number of trucks and therefore drivers needed to move that freight. We then compare that with the actual numbers and derive a shortage. Okay. It is definitely more complex than that, but in a nutshell, that's the way I like to explain what we're doing. So, but here's the other thing I think is important in all this is that the way we calculate it, we cannot account for the quality of the driver workforce. And I think fleets struggle with this, and therefore the driver shortage feels worse to them than the annual, the actual number is. Fleets will tell you all the time that they get applicants for positions, but they can hire a small percentage of them due to factors like past driving records, past experience, and even the ability to pass a drug test. So that's, I think, an important thing. And the last thing I'll say is for the listeners out there that want to see a little bit more in depth what we're doing and so forth, they can go to our website, trucking.org, and the report, the driver shortage report is up there for free. Perfect.
0: And we will actually link to that when we put the podcast out. So you should be able to go straight to that. So, Great. so your analysis, bottom line, showed a shortage of a little over 60,000 drivers with this growing to about a hundred thousand by twenty twenty three in just three years, and one hundred sixty k by twenty twenty eight, were you surprised by this growth? Because that's
1: that's pretty dramatic. It's a it's a big number, but let me be the first to say I do not believe that we will reach one hundred sixty thousand by twenty twenty eight. What this is is this is a warning to the supply chain that if things do not change, that's how mm. bad it will get. All right. The shortage number also, I should explain the shortage number is for the entire industry. But understand that the shortage is primarily and almost exclusively an over the road for hire truckload problem. It is not an LTL problem. It is really not a private fleet uh, problem. Sure, they may have some more difficulty finding shortage here in the last few years, but it pales in comparison to that over the road for hire uh, truckload carrier that is out there trying to get them. So if we were to see a shortage of 160,000, understand that it would start to impact us as consumers. I like to give the example as you go to the grocery store today and you look at, I want an apple. Well, there's seven varieties of apples. (laughs) If we get to 160,000 short, there will not be seven variety of apples in that store at any one given time. I seriously doubt that. So it is a, I really don't think we'll get there because it will hurt the economy Mm -hmm. too much, but it's a warning to the entire supply chain that this is at current trends, this is how bad it's going to get.
0: So there's, there's uh, three elements to this equation, right? There's the demand for truck that we think is only going to go up. We don't see that going away, but then for the supply, there's new drivers coming in and then there's also older ones exiting. So of those, where where do you see the bigger problem? Not getting enough new or having too many people leave the market?
1: Well, it's a combination of both of those. But you are absolutely right. We have a lot of drivers leaving the market. We need, over the next 10 years, we're going to need to bring over 1 million new drivers to the industry. These are people that have never been in the industry and retirements of existing drivers account for over 50% of that demand for those over 1 million drivers. The driver population is much older than the U.S. workforce in general. For example, the average age of all workers is what, roughly 42 years old. The average age of an over-the-road for-hire truckload drivers, 46, 47. But it gets worse because the median age of a private fleet driver is in the high 50s. 57, 58, LTL drivers is pushing 60. So when these drivers retire, those fleets often go to the four higher truckload and cherry pick right. the best drivers sure. in that, meaning that the four higher truckload industry is then short those and that leaves them short. So you're right. I mean, the retirements of existing drivers is a big issue in the in the next several years.
0: And then uh, I know when I've talked, to, we've done some work here, not a ton here at MIT, looking at drivers. We have a driver initiative, uh, but we've heard from some people that it's a good second career. There we're seeing some people that they're not entering the market at 21. They're entering it after they've done construction. They don't want to be hauling things anymore. So they, they come in at age 40. Have you seen any of that or is that just anecdotal?
1: Oh, no, no. I think that's absolutely right. I, if you talk to the private truck driver training schools, their average age of a person being trained is 35 years old. Wow. So I think you're absolutely right about that. That's a lot older than I thought. And so, so that's one, uh,
0: maybe a source of, of people coming in, but wh- tell me about the, there's been a lot of push to have those aged 18 or older to be able to drive across state lines. Uh, What's ATA's position on that? Do you think that'll have a big impact? Oh, I think it would help.
1: Here's what happens. If you are graduating Mm -hmm. high school and you're not going to the military and you're not going to college, you can't sit around and twiddle your thumbs, right? Until you're 21 years old to go out there and drive interstate freight. So what do you do? You go to retail, you go to construction, you go to fast food, And you have this, you know, you're working in those industries and then all of a sudden you're in your late 20s, early 30s, even mid 30s. And you're like, boy, I need a job that has better benefits and pays more money. And then that's when they generally come to us. We do believe that if you lowered the driving age that you could, you know, and that is by no means am I saying that lowering the driving age would, solve the truck driver shortage, but it would certainly help. And and there's this legislation in Congress called the Drive Safe Act. It is one of the few bipartisan pieces of legislation out there right now. It's got a lot of co-sponsors and it doesn't just change the driving age, lower it to 18 and then say, oh, go drive a truck, 18 year old. It, It does not do that at all. What it does is it says you have to have a lot of technology on the truck. You have to get a lot more training and then it's an apprenticeship type of program where you're with a, another driver for a, a longer period of time so that you get the right training on the road. We think this would certainly help get people that are were currently getting in their 30s to drive truck at a, a younger age, but still be very safe about it. And and that's very important.
0: Yeah, it make, makes sense. I know how hard it is to get something like that through though, the regulations, that's a never ending process. But let me ask you also uh, another area for potential new drivers, women.
1: I know that hasn't moved much in the last 10 years, has it? It's improved a little bit. I'll talk about that. But I think you're really getting at a core of several problems Mm -hmm. here and what major causes of the driver shortage, right? And so we've been talking about demographics, high average age, but there's another demographics problem, and that's gender. So only 5-6% of all drivers out there are female. Females make up 47% of the workforce. And I've got some members that are trying to change that. And they're up to 15-20%. Wow. The highest I've seen is about 20% of a particular fleet's drivers are female. So they're making some improvements there, but I think we have a long way to go. And that could go a long way in helping the driver shortage, no doubt. But there's other causes to the driver shortage, right? There's lifestyle. You're on the road. And that sort of fits with gender too uh, as well. There's more job alternatives today. We've got about the lowest unemployment rate Mm -hmm. in 50 Mm -hmm. years and so there's a lot of alternatives out there. Regulations generally reduce productivity. We're actually for a lot of those regulations, right? And when they improve safety, but the reality is they also reduce productivity, which means you need more drivers to haul the same amount of freight. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on. These are structural issues, except for maybe the job alternatives. These are structural issues, not cyclical. I do think that people have to understand that the driver shortage can ebb and and flow with the cyclicality of the economy. For example, it probably got a little bit better in 2019. I haven't calculated those numbers yet. Uh, we'll do that this summer, but I wouldn't be surprised if it got a little bit better. But the underlying problems or sources of the driver shortage have not gone away, even when it gets a little bit better, say in 2019, Fair. if that happened. But there are many causes of the driver shortage, which means there's no one solution.
0: So what's the reaction been to your reports over the years from, say, carriers?
1: You know, carriers, I think their reaction is, A, they're not surprised. But if they are surprised in any way, I think they're surprised that it's not higher. And again, I think it feels much worse to them than these numbers show. And that gets at the core of that quality issue. Right? You know, they'll tell you, you talk to fleets and they'll say, you know, I can only hire – 5% 5% of the drivers that come my way because they have bad driving records. They can't pass wow. a drug test. You'll even hear stories, and these are you know extremes, but you'll hear stories of, okay, I recruited these drivers. They come in for orientation, and you remind them that at Company X that we don't just do urine testing for drug use. We do hair testing. And they'll say, you know, at lunch, three drivers left and never came back. <laughs> <laughs> now we don't know that why they exactly they left, but there's a suspicion that that once they know that you hair tests, and so you can go back a, a longer period of time to find if there was any sort of drug use, and that is a problem with more and more states passing these marijuana laws. Yeah. Yep. So are we seeing more bald drivers? <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You know, but at the end of the day, those fleets don't want to hire those folks.
0: Yeah. And it's better to figure that out early than late. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. What about
1: reaction from shippers? I, you know, generally I don't get any surprises from uh, shippers. I do think though that by quantifying it, I'm sort of talking about what we've already talked about, and that is it can help ELD data certainly can help. It can help shippers show them, mm. you folks are part of the problem. You need to be the solution. You're holding up drivers at your facilities. That ELD data is very important in that. And so shippers can be now part of the solution and not just part of the problem. But but in that, we saw a lot of in 2018 when capacity got so tight. Uh, we saw a lot of shippers make a lot of improvements in that area. We still have a ways to go. Hopefully, that's not backing off as su- capacity has loosened up here. But they aren't too surprised as shippers.
0: Yeah, you know, that that's funny. It's the old uh, acronym, never let a crisis go to waste. And I've seen more shippers and carriers work together in 2018. And I was just presenting uh, last week to someone. I said, there's a whole new challenge, though, in that the market softened. And so all the gung ho, we want to be carrier friendly steam kind of evaporated in 2019. So we'll see how those relationships continue.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't disagree. The other thing, the other part of that is not only did uh, the relate see what happened to the relationships, but the reality is rates were going up in 2018, and carriers took the vast majority of that and paid drivers right. more. Now rates are falling and and that's why you are seeing some industry consolidation now and some fleets going out of business because I don't know how you walk back those pay increases. Right, right. I I think it's almost impossible. But if rates are going down, now your margins are being compressed and some fleets are going out of out of business as a result. Right. And the insurance has gone up about what 15 oh. 20% since last year. I might maybe even more. Oh, well, I think 15 20% is your your basic mm. uh first part of your liability insurance. But if you look at the reinsurance market and, you know, fleets a lot of times have different layers of that, right? At the highest layer for catastrophic sort of events and accidents, we've seen hundred percent increases. Wow. Yeah. That's not unusual. Let me change the topic a little
0: bit and tie off of what you're talking about, how shippers can be part of the solution. Because Some of your numbers, I I just want to push back because we had a previous podcast, my colleague up here at MIT, Dave Carell, took a stab at quantifying the shortage and how it could be mitigated by improving utilization of the driver, which, to be honest, is mainly something a shipper can influence. So using ATA numbers of 3.5 million truck drivers with about half, or 1.8 million being the long haul, a 60,000 driver shortage on a $1.8 million basis, only about 3.5% So if you translate it into driving hours, uh, where a long-haul over-the-road driver averages about six and a half hours per day in our analysis, that means the shortage would be, quote, eliminated with a 12-minute increase in driving time for each driver each day. Now, this is obviously really simplistic math done with crayons, but it seems to say, you know what, this is achievable, maybe not if we can't get 18-year-olds and change the the demographics, but maybe if shippers just become more efficient, reducing dwell and detention, we would almost solve the problem.
1: What, what are your thoughts about that? I don't disagree with that. I think that you can go a long way. Now, the only thing I'll take and push back a little bit into that is that we are really talking about the shortage is an an over the road for hire truckload problem. Nobody knows for sure how many drivers are in that space, but we estimate it's about 600,000. So not 1.8. So I think the number is higher on a per driver basis in just that when you really focus in. But generally I think this is true. And I think that shippers can help themselves by turning drivers around faster, but it's not just shippers. Another problem I hear all the time is lack of parking spots for drivers out there. We hear over and over that drivers end their days early if they find a parking spot, because if they drive another hour or two down the road, they may not find a spot. And so they stop early. So this is also exacerbating the driver shortage.
0: So who can solve that, Bob? Is that a government thing? I mean, who would start putting extra parking lots or extra places for them to stop
1: yeah I think that all goes towards infrastructure generally and part of what needs to be solved if we ever get a big infrastructure bill not only is it improving roads and bridges and by the way we're supportive of other types of you know infrastructure needs to be solved as well but I would put parking spots in there as as one area as well yeah that's gosh that's a
0: tough sell for a, for a local municipality isn't it because that means it's spot that isn't generating economic activity it's mitigating congestion that's especially in a tight area like up here in the northeast that's probably a, a pretty big challenge to face
1: yeah but it is you, it is but i think you're hitting on something here and that is dry we need to be more efficient with driver's time right? That includes turning them around faster at facilities, but it also means making sure that they have enough parking spots out there so that they don't have to feel like they have to quit early. If they're tired, that's one thing, right? But we hear over and over, oh, I wasn't tired. I just saw a spot and I wanted to make sure I grabbed it. Right. Makes sense. Okay. So one
0: last question, looking forward, what trends or technologies do you think will have the most impact on the trucking transportation market over say the next five years? What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So when I'm out speaking at all these uh, industry events, uh, the one question I always get is what about autonomous vehicle technology? Oh, boy. Right. And more specifically, they'll say driverless trucks. Right. right? Let me be very clear, not only from my perspective, but from ATAs. Okay, Okay. we think that this AV technology has a lot of potential in the commercial truck space. Uh, with safety and and so forth. But B, this is, we prefer to call it driver assist technologies. It is not driver replace. And the reason is, um, at least not for, I don't know, decades, right? I see not too distant future where the truck driver gets the truck onto the highway and pushes some sort of autopilot button right, if you will. Once it's on the highway, hands off, feet off, eyes on, right, and ready to take over in a split second should it be needed. Let's look at airplanes, for example. Airplanes have been highly autonomous for a very long time. But if something goes wrong with the technology, at 30,000 feet, the, uh, you know, planes are separated by uh, large Areas so there's the pilots have plenty of time as long as it's not catastrophic to take over, fix the problem, and keep going. If you're going down the highway at 62 miles an hour and something goes wrong with the uh, uh, you know, autopilot or this AV technology, the driver may have a split second to take over to avoid catastrophe. So, yes, it will help. I think it can make us more efficient, it'll make help with safety, but this is not going to replace the driver for a very long time. Yeah, it's funny. When
0: I talk to different people, I get asked that as well as drones, right? I get drone questions all the time. But uh, for <laughs> right. for autonomous, uh, the question, and what I find generally, people who are more involved in the actual testing and the technology, as opposed to those who just write about it, uh, the people who are involved in the technology think it's going to be decades, multiple decades. And the people who write about it thinks it's tomorrow, they're already piloting right. it in Arizona <laughs> right so yeah it's it's a it's an interesting thing but so you're to sum it up you don't see it as a solving the driver shortage anytime soon no not at all but i wonder if um let's say you had some the driver assist was strong enough do you think regulations would ever allow the that time to be treated differently than so driving hours now it's it doesn't count the
1: same that is a good question and one we've thought about and not necessarily one way or the right. other right but just like as you think about these things what is some of the the issues that could pop up right. and that is is one of them you know i don't know i mean in one sense it's it's easier your, your hands are not on the on the wheel, your your feet are not on the uh, you know on the in, on the gas accelerator and so forth, but you are still sitting there monitoring. You're not reading a book. Right. You're not you know you need to be. So we'll have to wait and see. It just also I guess depends on how good the technology yeah. is and how far it progresses. I mean,
0: it's right now uh, level one, level two. They actually the technology is pretty good right now as far as supporting the driver for minimizing accidents. Safety has continue to improve over the
1: years. Am I am I wrong there? No, you're right. Um, but I'll give you an example of my personal car. My personal car has, you know, where it keeps you in your lane. The couple of weeks ago, we just got a dusting of snow here in DC, <laughs> just a dusting. And guess what? It didn't yeah, work, yeah. right? Because the cameras can't see the lanes. And the other thing is think about how much money, if it's going to be sort of that sort of system of camera-based systems, I mean, right. There is gonna have to be invest in these companies that make paint, right? Because yeah. you're gonna have to paint all these roads and keep those lines painted. So I think there's still listen, I we are we think this has a lot of potential. It can be great for safety we just think it's uh, it's going to take time right. it's a slower as you suggested it's going to be slower than a lot of these people writing about it think and and it will take time and it is not listen if you're a driver out there and you are thinking about getting in this industry or or would be driver your job is going to be around for a very long yeah, time yeah
0: terminator's not going to come out but i wonder if, if any infrastructure bill you're going to look for corridors. So maybe certain corridors can be equipped, and maybe that'd be an interesting problem. What corridors make the most sense? I don't think anyone's thinking a 53 foot trailer is going to come down into downtown Boston driven by a robot any decade soon. I agree. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I think I think this is again drivers. You know, in the long long term, you're still going to have to have local drivers. Right. But you can use this technology more on the open highway and and like yeah. I said, sort of pushing an autopilot. Back. Yeah,
0: it's funny. I, we uh we had a, a Lexus for 14 years and we just traded in last year. So we still had a tape deck and a cigarette lighter and all the new technology, <laughs> it baffles me when the when the steering wheel started shaking, it's like, what's going on? So I'm I'm still adapting to the new technology myself.
1: Yeah, well, you know, in these cars, my car parks itself, oh my right? Gosh. It parallel parks itself. And I'm getting now. I'm starting to be a bad parallel Parker because this car parks that. That's, the, parks that's the curse
0: of technology. That's uh, you know some of the problems. If technology gets good, then we lose those skills to do certain things. Like I, I don't know about you, but I used to change my oil all the time. I stopped about what twenty years ago because now I, I don't know if I could find it anymore because it's so complicated. I've lost that skill. Well, thank you, Bob. I really appreciate your candor. And for everyone, please stay tuned to hear the market update with Doctor Yu. Thanks, Chris.
2: Welcome to the Over the Road Truckload Market Update for March 12, 2020. In today's market update, we will discuss the market changes in the last two weeks. Let's start with Dry Van. Active rates dropped 1%, spot rates down by about 3%. Replacement rates are negative and about negative two and a half percent. This means that the new contract rates are about two and a half percent below the rates being replaced. On the temp control side, active rates dropped half a percent, spot rates down by two and a half percent, replacement rate is negative and is about negative two percent. Finally on the intermodal side, active rates down by half a percent, spot rates down by half a percent. And replacement rates are negative and are about negative 3%. So the takeaways are spot rates back down to the levels that we saw in Q2, Q3 of 2019 for all the three modes, dry van, temp control, and in Replacement rates are negative and active rates are starting to trend down one again. Coronavirus, oil price drop, and stock market fluctuations are big ticket items for this week. Stock market is reacting to the uncertainty caused by these factors. The trucking market impact due to the coronavirus is yet to be determined. It could be a short-term blip one way or the other. We are closely monitoring the market. Stay tuned for our updates.
0: Well, that wraps up this episode. The Freightvine podcast is hosted by Inami Yub and myself and is produced and edited by Stephanie Bond and Abby Haney. To hear previous episodes, please visit our website at chainalytics.com slash FreightVine. You can subscribe to the Freight Vine wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on the Freight Vine or suggestions for what you would like to hear in the future, please send an email to podcast at chainalytics.com. Finally, from all of us at the Freight Vine, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new.